Okay, brethren, the subject I would like to use today for this message is the book of Psalms. I dare to say something, brethren, of course, I will not be dogmatic, but when it comes to spiritual growth, when it comes to develop a profound relationship with Jesus Christ and the Father, there is no other book in the Bible that can help you more to achieve that goal. There is something about that book, dear brethren, that we should not say, oh, the book of Psalms, I have already read it. I have, pe- I have heard people saying it. Brethren, I tell you from my heart, and it's interesting, when you open a Bible right in the middle, you open in the book of Psalms. It's like God is telling us, this is the heart of a man according to my own heart. The man he used to, wrote most of those, to write most of those songs. Of course, there are other authors like Moses himself. He wrote Moses, uh, Psalm number 90, the man of the wilderness. And then, of course, we have Ethan. We have an Ethan sitting here today. And there is uh, uh, Asaph and, of course, the sons of Korah. But that book, there is something about it, brethren, when it comes to the depth of a relationship, an intimate adoration of God that reflects the heart of a man God called according to his own heart. And that's the, very much the line that is followed all over that book, 150 Psalms. I will tell you, brethren, and if I forget to repeat it, the, real, the book of Psalms is like a school of prayer. How it teaches us how to develop, how to cultivate a profound intimate, passionate relationship with our God. It's an amazing book, brethren. I know people that have read it over 140 times, and there is not way to say, I know it all. The book, the Word of God, according to Hebrews 4, is a life. You will never exhaust the Word of God. There is always new dimensions, new understandings, new depths that we can reach when we do concentrate our mind, our heart, and our soul in studying that word, in assimilating it, so we are transformed in the same image of the one who inspired the whole book, the whole books of the Bible, but especially this book. Someone said, if you, have an, you want to have the mind, I mean the heart of David, you know, we are what we eat, you want to strengthen your heart, read that book. Every day. That's my recommendation, my brethren. I know I still have a long ways to go. But that should be something. Apart the rest of our Bible study of the rest of the books. Which actually, when you count them one by one, there are 70 books. There are not 66. Because the division of the book of Psalms is inspired by God. We have received it. All the inspired texts that have been preserved miraculously by God, contain five divisions of the book of Psalms. And they are inspired by God. There are other things in the Bible, like the chapters and verses in other books that are the creation of, they're they're put by man, you know, but they are very useful. That's how we can preach here, and you can find exactly the scripture we are talking about. But the division of the book of Psalms in five books, that's why we should not count them as one book, because... It's interesting. Someone said, God gave us 
the five books of the law through Moses. For he gave us the five books of the Psalms through David. And the beautiful thing is that the book of the Psalms are parallels to the books of the law. If you notice, for example, in the very first Psalm, there is a mention of the righteous who meditates in God's law day and night is like a tree by the streams of water. That's a direct reference to the book of Genesis, the first book of the law. And of course to the book of Revelation, because the whole Bible is in harmony, beautifully. You read the book of, the second book starts in Psalm 42. It's a cry by the sons of Korah, a cry for, for God. It's like the people groaning in pain in the, exod- in the Exodus time to get out of Egypt. And that book goes until Psalm 72, which is the, king, the reign of a righteous king, Psalm 72. And it deals with Israel. And we are Israel. And so many things that are in that book concerns us today. That's the second book of the Psalms. And there are parallels. And it mentions a lot of things that have to do with the book of Iwan. That's not my purpose today, by the way. That's an interest, strength in study that you can make, brethren, and that is found, I find, very useful in the Companion Bible. You can check that. It's not 100% true, everything he says, but a lot of what is said there has helped the church and the work of God throughout the decades in a great way. So, the third book starts with Psalm 73. And the third book of the law is Leviticus, who has to do with everything that goes on in the sanctuary, with all the ceremonies, with the priesthood. And it's interesting, that first Psalm of the third book is Psalm 73. He's wondering about why the wicked prosper and we, that we try to obey God, we wash our hands in innocence, and we get our punishment every day. Say, <laughs> what, what is my reward? God is perfecting us, as you already know, by sufferings, so he can transfer to us his character. And then he says in Psalm 73, he says, I didn't understand. I was like a beast until I entered the sanctuary of God. You remember when John, the beloved disciple, was invited when he saw an open door in heaven, he said, come up here, I will show you what will be the end of these things. And John entered the sanctuary of God in heaven, and we have access to that sanctuary, to the third heaven, if we use the privilege of communicating with God and understanding that we are a sanctuary ourselves. An embassy, I was beautifully explained by Mr. Scott Wenale, Dr. Scott Wenale, and we there have a direct communication with the temple of God or with the courtroom of the throne of God in heaven. We have access to it. And in Psalm 73 it says, until I entered the sanctuary of God, I understood the end of the wicked. And then we have a vision and we know God is working out a plan. Then the fourth book of the Psalm starts with the book of Moses, with a Psalm, of Psalm 90, a man of God, the man of the desert. And he speaks a lot about the experience in the desert. You will find many of those references in the fourth book of the Psalms. And to make it short for you, the fifth Psalm parallels the book of Deuteronomy. Interestingly enough, 
There you find the longest chapter in the whole Bible, Psalm 119, all about the statutes and the judgments and the commandments and the laws of God. So, the amazing thing, brethren, and I was saying something I forgot, said, if we want to have the heart of David, that should be part of our daily task. I won't say a routine. That word has a negative connotation. I would say our daily spiritual task. If we want a transformation of our way of thinking, of how a man, according to God's heart, thought and felt, we need to assimilate the book of Psalms and get to work and read two or three every day. And then we finish and always go back and continue, start again a cycle that should never end and that will produce growth because the word of God will not come back without causing an effect in those that want to listen and study it. And the transformation starts taking place. Interestingly enough, the book of Proverbs has 31 chapters. If we want to have the mind of Solomon, we should read one chapter every day. This month has 31 days. There is an opportunity every day of the month, one chapter of the book of, of Proverbs. So we'll have the heart of David by the Psalms and the mind of Solomon with the Proverbs. And I tell you, day by day, if you really read that book, talking, for example, about the book of Psalms or the book of Proverbs, you will find that there are always opportunities to apply a principle that you read in the book of Proverbs or, of course, in the book of Psalms. It's something like concerns very much our daily lives. Interestingly enough, Jesus Christ called the book of Psalms the law. I will prove it to you in chapter 10. It's interesting that he refers to it as the law. Chapter 10 of the book of John, the Gospel of John. Let's read together here in verse 34. Chapter 10 and verse 34, Jesus answered them. John 10, 34. Is it not written in your law? I said, you are God's. He's quoting directly from Psalm 82. You can go ahead there and verify that. Why is it that Jesus Christ called it the law? It's interesting, I already told you, there is a parallel. There is kind of a dimension added to each book of the law when a parallel with the books of the Psalms, the five books of Psalms. So, there is another place in chapter 15 of the book of John. We also find that he refers to the book of Psalms as the law. Let's read chapter 15 and verse 25 of the book of John, Gospel of John. But this happened that the word, the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That's in Psalm 35 and in Psalm 69. You can look for them. And Christ calls it the law. Just to underline the importance of these books, is the most quoted book in the New Testament. Of all the Hebrew scriptures that we also call the Old Testament, it would be more accurate to say, and for the sake of clarity, we use Old Testament. 
Well, that was not a testament, and that's another subject. That was a covenant, but not a testament. The new covenant includes a testament because Christ died. A testament is valid only when the author dies of that testament. And he resurrected, of course. But we used to call them sometimes in the in Pasadena the Hebrew Scriptures. You don't find any other book that is quoted more than the book of Psalms in what we call the New Testament. It's the most quoted book. And Jesus Christ, in the most dramatic moments of his life, what came out of his mouth? In the book of Matthew, we find the words that he pronounced before the last he pronounced. You can go there. You, you will find that very easily. I cannot. He says, why did that come out in a moment that was so dramatic for humankind? He said, hanging on that cross, and the time of his death was approaching, Matthew 27. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You know, that comes from Psalm 22, verse 1. These are the words that Jesus Christ and the Father had directly inspired to King David. And they came directly out of the heart of Jesus Christ in this crucial, crucial moment in history for eternity. That's what came out of his heart. And the very last words he pronounced a few moments later, it's interesting that Matthew says, uh, three verses down, he says, Jesus, when he had cried out again with a loud voice, yielded up his spirit. What did he say? Let's go to Luke, and you will see there in chapter 23 or 24. Yes, 23, these are the last words of Jesus Christ hanging on that cross. After he cried out, Psalm 22, verse 1, like I said, from his heart came out the words that he had himself inspired a man according to his own heart to write over 1,000 years before, about 1,000 years before. And in Luke, we have the last words. Matthew only says he cried out with a loud voice. And here is what he said. Luke 23 and verse 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Why? From the book of Psalms. That I'm trying to underline, brethren, the importance of this book, to have a profound relationship with God. 
if we want to grow so that we are transformed into the same image from glory to glory and we become one with Jesus Christ and one with the Father. It will be all one in everybody when the end of the last great day is fulfilled and the last people on his planet enter into his glory, Christ will turn the commandment to the Father. He will be all in all. And the book of Psalms is instrumental in that transformation. So we come one with Jesus Christ and one with the Father. So I tell you from my heart, brethren, we should make it a daily task to read. Some people don't know how to pray. They know how to say, let's kneel down and learn from the school of prayer that God has put in the heart of the Bible to teach our heart how to communicate with our Father. And that's the first thing he demands in the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with, number one, all your heart. And that's what you find in this book, brethren. And it's a tremendous help. So we're going to, I'm going to attend, brethren. Let's see, time flies. I have to be careful. <laughs> uh, you have to be careful. But, you know, there are many, like I say, it's an exhaustible. You, you read the book, the, the, the word of God is alive. No matter how many times you read the same verse, you will always can learn something new. There is no book in the universe like that. In the book of Psalms, there are many subjects that run through the whole book. I explained to you there are five divisions. And interestingly, I said to you, Christ calls that book the law. He said it several times. It is written in your law, referring to the book of Psalms. And through those books, there are subjects that themes that run through the whole book. It's like God reminds them from time to time to us. There are many of them. Today, I will attempt to explain a few, like two or three of those themes that run through the book. And only you get to grasp these things when it's a daily exercise, brethren, that we read and read and pray and assimilate in our knees when we don't know what to say. Once again, let's kneel down, take this book and start cultivating our relationship with God. It's about time, brethren, the signs we're seeing, the doors opening to this work. God is telling us the time is closed. It's closed. Why Christ didn't open before this door to all of Latin America? Practically all of it. And the day he opened it, he sends a check to pay in one day for a whole year. That's pretty amazing. So we're, we're getting to, to, the, to the end, brethren, when the wickedness is increasing and the love of many, and when God speaks of love, he's speaking of his children, of people in the church of God, because love is to obey the commandments of God. That's the definition of love all over. In the book of John and the, in the epistles of John, when he says the, word, the love of many will wax cold means the obedience or this attention or this, this uh, passion to obey God will warm, will wax cold because there's so much wickedness in the entertainment and in our environment that we accept sometimes in our embassies to come back to the subject of the sermonette. That's something very interesting, brother, here that I want to point to you.
The book of Psalms gives us a schedule. A schedule. I'm going to prove it to you. A schedule for praying morning and evening. And that's a fulfillment of something that is written in the Word of God in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, or in the Hebrew Scriptures, God commanded in chapter 29 of the book of Exodus, and of course, chapter 6 of the book of Numbers, and some other places in the book of Leviticus, a daily sacrifice, morning and evening, morning and evening. Now, let's see how the Apostle Peter will bring that to us, and we have talked about this years before, but these subjects are extremely important for us to keep in mind if we are to grow spiritually. In the book of First Peter, let's see what it says in chapter 2 and verse 4. First Peter, chapter 2 and verse 4. Coming to him, chapter 2, verse 4, first epistle of the apostle Peter. Coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. So you also as living stones are being built up a spiritual house. And that's what this cultivating will contribute to. You are built into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. When you read the instructions for the daily offerings, you see they are all representing Jesus Christ. And Peter is telling us how it applies in the new covenant, in a spiritual dimension. But those sacrifices were a statute forever. That means we should be keeping them now. And we're going to find the book of, in the book of Psalms how God gives us a schedule for morning and evening. So we should be attentive to these beautiful teachings Let's read chapter 29 of the book of Exodus, and uh, we'll see some clear indications in verse 38 and following verses. We're going to read what those spiritual sacrifices were about, and I'm going to prove to you also that they represent our daily task, our daily task as a holy priesthood, the dimension, spiritual dimension of the physical priesthood of Aaron according to Aaron, is the priesthood of Melchizedek, according to Jesus Christ. And we are part of that priesthood. Let's read here in chapter 29 and verse 38 of the book of Exodus. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar, two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. Continually. Oh, who is the lamb? It says continually. Peter says we have to offer spiritual sacrifices. Let's read Hebrews 13. Keep your hand there, it will be back. Because I want to show you, brethren, the indications are pretty obvious of what God is talking about here. Christ said he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill it. And not one yacht will pass away without being fulfilled. So there are ways that these things that are physical have a spiritual fulfillment that Christ did not come to abolish. In the book of Hebrews chapter 13, you will see how Paul speaks of a continual sacrifice. Chapter 13, and we'll go back to chapter 29 of the book of Exodus. Chapter 13, verse 
15 of the book of Hebrews. Therefore, by him, let us continually. Okay, there it is. Peter says we are to offer spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ as living stones of a living temple. And here, Paul, speaking to the brethren, to the Hebrews of the new covenant, 1315. Therefore, by him, exactly what Peter says, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. You see, when it goes all directly to God, it's like a burnt offering that we don't partake of it. It's all burnt upon the altar for the glory of God. And it goes as sweet flavor, sweet smell in his presence. And there is other sacrifice mentioned continue immediately after. But do not forget, verse 16, to do good and to share. For with such sacrifices, God is well pleased. Remember, the sacrifice of peace, you didn't burn the whole thing. You only shed the blood and burned the fat, bought the meat. You, you gave a part to the priest, and then you shared the rest with your family when you went to offer, especially the feast. So it's when you pray for others. That's a sacrifice of peace that we should be doing continually, but always have the sacrifice of praise, which is the burnt offering. And let's read it now that we have the elements to understand God is talking to us and teaching us he didn't come to abolish these things. He came to give them a fulfillment that we should be putting to work day by day. If we are not otherwise neglecting our spiritual growth and becoming lazy, my dear brethren. Let's go back to chapter 29 and verse 38 of the book of Exodus. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. We just read Hebrews 13:15. There is the word, sacrifice continually. It's pretty clear. We read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. We offer spiritual sacrifices as a holy priesthood, the priesthood of Melchizedek, which is another study that probably is time to review. Verse 39, one lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. We should pray, we should pray to the Father through Jesus Christ, the lamb in the morning and in the evening. And then he says, with one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour mixed with a fourth of a hin of pressed oil. That means Christ is the perfect bread, the, that quality, that flour of the best quality should be used. He is the bread of life. He is the unleavened bread, and he is perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit represented by the oil. So the lamb represents Christ, and the flour fully penetrating that, uh, the oil penetrating that flower represents our master completely, always full of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And one-fourth of an inn of wine as a drink offering, which is his sacrifice to give us salvation, to give us entrance to the presence of the Father, to reconcile us with God. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. So that's the evening. And he says, And you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning. 
for a sweet aroma. That means it's a burnt. It has to be all for the praise of God. And you all, we also can include after that, of course, and the book of Psalms will help us to do that. It's called the book of praises by the Jews. Precisely. So we can use it as a school of prayer to fulfill these tasks that God commands us to be diligent. And it says, For a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, this shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations. At the door of the tabernacle, we happen to be the temple. Christ, God was with the people. Now he is within us. We are the embassy. That's inside our beings, in the temple, our hearts and minds and souls, that we should offer this sacrifice of praise that will go directly to the third heaven, to the presence of our Father. This shall be a continual born offering throughout your generations at the doors. Throughout your generations. We're still in effect today. We say, oh, that's all. Christ fulfilled all of that. He did. But there is something for us to do about it too. What Christ said, I didn't come to abolish. I came to fulfill it. Everything has a reason to be there. And we understand that more and more as we go. This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of meeting before the Lord where I will meet you to speak with you. There we have the intimate relationship with God. Now let's go to the book of Psalms. And let's see how that schedule is set up for us beautifully. The first psalm reads, the book of Psalms, book one. You see, that's inspired by God. So that's what we can tell easily. We have 70 books in the Bible, not 66. When we say 66, we're counting only one book for the five books of the Psalms. And I repeat, the divisions of five is inspired by God. That's what we have received from the Masoretic text and all the, even the, the, the Septuagint keeps those books in that order. And actually, the order of the Psalms, Paul speaks in chapter 13 and verse 33 of the book of Acts of the second Psalm. And he quotes the second Psalm. So in the days of Paul, it was the same order that they are put here. They are, there are a reason for them to be put that way. So let's read here. Blessed is the man who walks in the counsel, who, who, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. For his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law he meditates day and night. You see, he starts mentioning the very first psalm, day and night. You know, at twilight was the beginning of the what is called boker, the night or the evening. So it can be an indication. You know, I'm not going to be all dogmatic about this. I'm just saying they're beautiful Beautiful analogies we can learn from, my dear brethren. So, there he speaks of day and night. You know, he brings forth its fruit in its season. Well, I say to you at the beginning, if we cultivate a relationship with God, cultivation will bring fruit of growth. When the next feast comes, which is the harvest of the barley, as I explained to you a few years ago, then we'll be more like Jesus Christ. We'll have something to present as a spiritual growth and then an offering, a generous offering to forward 
this work. But it has to be the reflection of an inward growth. That's what God is looking at. The spiritual growth for each feast. We have to have grown from the last one. Unless God comes to us for the fruit, then we are empty-handed, brethren. So we have to be very diligent. This requires diligence. In, in Psalm 3, <clears throat> I don't say this is in every Psalm. But I told you, it runs through the whole book. I'm going to show you a few quotes from the first book of Psalms, a few from the second, and so on until the fifth. Though God speaks of morning and evening. So this is an indication for us if we want to take it. Because they, these men of God did it, why wouldn't we do it? And Christ set us an example also. In chapter 3, and this is another theme we'll, we'll, we'll study, we have time, is, is a very interesting thing for us to understand. David always seeked a refuge in God. He always, the first reaction when he was in trouble, no matter what it was, was not to run to his best friend. His best friend was God. And he would go and pour his heart before God. Always. That was the first thing he did. And he learned that fleeing probably for 10 years when his life was pending on a thread, like he said to his dear and beloved friend, Jonathan, if I did something wrong, why don't you kill me right away? My life is continually in danger. He learned to depend on God. He made of God his refuge. In Hebrew, Haza, H-A-S-A-H, Haza. That we'll study if we have time. But you find it through the whole book of Psalms. You are my refuge. He will be in trouble. He will immediately go seek refuge in his God. Like Christ said, close the door of your chamber. Pray to your Father who is in secret. Pour your heart before God. Christ said, come to me, all you who are charged and labored. I will give you rest. But sometimes we haven't learned those things. And that's another lesson of the book of Psalms. But as we study, I mentioned this is another subject that we will have time probably today to study. God is my refuge. Hazah. He runs to, for cover under the wings of his God. It's all over the book. And here we're just studying to start with, but the two themes are together in Psalm number 3. And it's interesting. Why did God inspire David to write in what circumstances he was found when he wrote that book, that psalm. And you will find many psalms where David says exactly what were the circumstances he was in. God is teaching us, listen, when you're in trouble, come to me. I will help you. He's teaching us through this book also. That's why it's so helpful for our daily lives. And he says, some of David, uh, psalm number three, when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. Remember the whole nation turned against him. Of course, it was a consequence of his sin, and God had announced it to him beforehand. That's another interesting subject to study, the consequences of sin. God forgave him. But he didn't take away the consequences, he wouldn't make him again. That's what that's another subject. Well, I mentioned it by by going going by. God is very merciful, but he doesn't always take the consequences of our mistakes so we don't repeat them and end up in the lake of fire out of love. 
God allows consequences to continue in spite of the fact that he has forgiven us. I give you quickly the example of David. When he committed adultery and murder and all the sins he committed, he repented when Nathan the prophet spoke to him. But, but that little boy of adultery died. And David dictated his own sentence. He said, that man has to pay four times. He paid with four children of his. And God did not take away the consequences, so he would never do it again. So that's an important lesson for us, not to go around doing things we shouldn't be doing, because there are consequences, even if God forgives us. Like the girls and the guys, many of them go out in the world, start doing things, sometimes they get a disease. Or the girls lose their virginity and they have a baby. But he's not going to disappear and the virginity is not going to come back. Uh, excuse me to be so concrete here, but those consequences will stay. God will forgive. Yes, if there is true repentance, but those things will not disappear from our lives. It's important to, you know, we have to fear God. David said, of your judgments, I'm afraid. Because he knew he was a loving God, but he will teach us lessons. But that's another subject. I'm sorry. I'm going from Florida, so. <laughs> Here, look at this. When he is fleeing from his son, what does he do? We're going to find an evening prayer and a morning prayer right here at the beginning of the psalm. Let's read verse 3. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. So he is fleeing from his son. The whole nation turns against him as a consequence of his own sin. But he seeks God because he knows God has forgiven him and seeks help. My glory and the one who lifts up my head. I cry to the Lord with my voice. That's something we have to learn. It's a teaching here. You are in trouble? Go hide somewhere and take a pillow and cry out. You know, pour your heart before God. You know, when you get it out of you, Freud, he thought he had discovered that thing when with the famous sofa of Freud, I don't know how you call it. You know, the person comes all burdened with worries and problems and, and they speak and talk and talk and talk and they feel relieved. But he never gives us a total solution. So a few weeks later, they come back with the same problem. God teaches us here, if we pour our heart before him, he can heal us of our problems, of the cause of the problem. Anyway, there's so much to be said. There, let's, let's read here chapter 3 and verse 3. My glory and the one who lifts, lifts, lifts up my head. I cry to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. Access we have today. David had the spirit of God. He had access to the third heaven too. I lay down and slept. So he was crying in the evening. He was praying to God in the evening before he lay down and slept. And immediately says, I awoke for the Lord had sustained me. So he had an evening prayer and a morning prayer. With, I will not be afraid of 10,000 of people who have set themselves against me all around. So, here you have the two prayers. The evening immediately before he fell asleep, he was tired. And that's why Aitofel had told Absalom, go after him right now. We are going to get him tired. That's the moment. Don't lose the opportunity. 
And God, of course, protected David through his other friends. Now, in, in, verse, in chapter 4, he speaks in verse 4. I meditate with, within your heart on your... Within, I meditate within... Uh, be angry and do not sin. Meditate within your heart on your bed and be still. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. So that's at night. Sometimes we wake up at night, and actually the fire upon the altar or the physical sacrifices in chapter 6 of the book of Leviticus could never be out. Remember, the sons of Aaron were fulminated in the presence of God because they went to look for a fire that he had not kindled himself and brought a strange fire in his presence. So the fire upon the altar, like the fire of the Holy Spirit, like Paul says to to Timothy, I advise you to stir up the fire. In English, it says the gift. When you look at the margin, it says the fire of the gift of God. Stir it up. Don't let it go out. So they have to put enough wood on the fire in the evening with the evening sacrifice so the fire will be still there burning in the morning and more wood have to be put before the morning sacrifice put on it. So here in the night, if we have gone to bed in the presence of God, we wake up, we'll be in his presence like Psalm 139 says, I woke up, I was still with you. That's the type of intimacy God is seeking with us, brethren. It's a lot for a modern citizen of this world, when our fellowship is more with this world uh, through entertainment. Now here, chapter 5. You see, he's setting us in a schedule. Chapter 5 says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my meditation. Give heed to the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For to you I pray, my voice you shall hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning I will direct it to you and will look up. Let's look for a few more here in the first book. And uh, like I said, there he sets you morning and evening. And here we're going to find another one, another reference to the morning and evening spiritual offering. Uh, we'll find some very beautiful ones. In chapter 29, also in the first book, first book, remember, goes from Psalm 1 to Psalm 41. In chapter 29 and verse 5, you find another invitation to this continual sacrifice morning and evening. 29, no, excuse me, 30, verse 5. 30, verse 5. Psalm 30, verse 5 says, For his anger is but for a moment, his favor for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. But we'll have some more precise ones if we go to the second book in Psalm 55. My dear brethren, Psalm 55 will find a very clear reference to this practice in the book of Psalms. In Psalm 55 and verse 16, that's the second book. You see, it goes through the whole, all the books of, of the 55 and verse 16. It says, as for me, I will call upon God, and the Lord shall save me, evening and morning and at noon. And we know that David was not of the house of Aaron. He had to offer spiritual sacrifices. He could not offer physical sacrifices. He was forbidden for a king. 
only in the priesthood of Melchizedek, where you combine the two. Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of the Most High God. Jesus Christ combines the two functions. In the Old Covenant, they were separated, and those that attempted to do it physically, like King Uzziah and even King Saul, lost their kingdom. Uzziah became a leper, and Saul lost the kingdom for offering a sacrifice he was not supposed to offer. He was supposed to wait for Samuel to come before the battle. You should all remember that. And here, David, of course, is offering a spiritual evening and morning. That's Psalm 55, verse 17. Evening and morning and at noon, I will pray and cry aloud. And you know that Daniel was a descendant of King David, and he did the same thing. You remember that? In the book of Daniel, he was tested to see if he would continue that faithfulness in offering spiritual sacrifices. And remember that Gabriel came to Daniel to reveal to him the 70 weeks prophecy when Daniel was praying at the time of the evening sacrifice. And sacrifices were stopped, completely finished in Jerusalem. He was still in Babylon, and he continued that perpetual statute of God spiritually, because Daniel had God's Holy Spirit. That's probably what we should be doing ourselves. Let's look at another in some, uh, in the following book, let me see, the third book, we'll find another reference to morning and evening. Let's go to Psalm 88, and we'll find it there. This is the second third book of the Psalms. And here it is, Psalm 88 and verse 13. But to you I have cried out, O Lord, and in the morning my prayer comes before you. This is a psalm by Heman the Ezraite. So he mentions again the morning. And you look at Psalm 92 for the Sabbath day, which is in the book number four. He says, 92, Psalm, a song for the Sabbath day. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to, to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness every night. In every book, I told you those things run through the whole book of Psalms. This is the fourth of the book of Psalms. Let's go to the fifth one. We'll find more. I am not quoting all of them for you, but it's interesting to find these things. An invitation from God to continue spiritually to offer the continual sacrifice in his presence to keep that fire burning, those lamps burning, and burning that incense in his presence, and we know the incense are the prayers of the saints. And the incense have to be lit with a fire of the same spirit, not with another fire. So is, this is a fascinating thing. In Psalm 119, we find it. This is the fifth book. I've given examples to you in four books of the morning and evening theme. And here we find in... Uh, Psalm 119 and verse 147, it says, and this is pretty concrete for us to cultivate this relationship with God. 
He says, 147, Psalm 119, verse 147, I rise before the dawning of the morning, and I cry for help. And look what it says immediately after. I hope in your word. My eyes are awake through the night watches. There are other, I don't think this is, this is correct because we, God doesn't expect us to be awake all night. But in the book of, so, in the book of Song of Songs, speaking of the beloved, the faithful wife, he says, I was asleep, but my heart was watching. Remember, the, the ten virgins fell all asleep. The problem was not that they fell asleep. The problem is that some fell asleep and their lamps went out. Others fell asleep and their lamps were still burning when they were asleep. That's very important. Why? Because they put enough oil. And when you go to the law, when you read instructions to Aaron, he had, he had to put in the evening plenty of oil on those lamps for them to burn all night. But that's what you read in chapter 31 of Proverbs of this virtuous woman. Her lamp does not go out by night because she does her prayer, her study, her meditation before she goes to bed. And through the night, even if she's asleep, her heart is watching. That's beautiful, brethren. The Bible is full of all these analogies. God is a poet. And those things are very useful when we have concrete example to understand what we have to do. And here it says, it combines the two. 147, Psalm 119, verse 147, I rise before the dawning of the morning, and I cry for help. Christ, chapter 1 of the book of Mark, verse 36, I think. He got up when it was still very dark. And that's very easy now. <laughs> you know, brother, you don't have to get up too early to rise, to rise before dawn at this time of the year. It's beautiful when everything's quiet. Why did Christ go up when it was still very dark in the morning? Let's see his example. Why don't you read it here? In chapter 1 of the book of Mark, it's beautiful. And then in the evening, when he, after he had multiplied the bread, he let the people go with satisfied, like a loving father. You ate, now you can go home. Where did he go? He went to the mountain to pray in the evening. So, brethren, we have a pretty clear picture and the example of our supreme master and the example of a man according to his heart. What was his daily routine? Or I would say his daily task. That's how I call it. It's a priestly, a priestly task. Mark chapter 1 and verse 35. Mark 1:35. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. That's the living example of Jesus Christ. And here, David, what does he say? Psalm 119, verse 147, I rise before the dawning of the morning, and I cry for help. My eyes are away through the night watches. Actually, my translation has, my eyes prevent. I mean, I go in advance of the night watches. The first night watch was from 6 to 9, the second from 9 to midnight, the third from midnight to 3 a.m., and the fourth from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. There were four watches of the night. So here is an indication of rising before dawning and praying in the evening at the time of the night watches.
Let's read another one, very beautiful one, 141. You know, if this is not enough proof, I don't think we... <laughs> I think God is really making something clear for us here to help us in our spiritual lives, brethren, so we don't become... We don't let our fire go down and get caught like foolish virgins when Christ will suddenly start, when things will unleash at the end time, brethren, it's going to be an amazing sequence. If we're not ready, when the Pope starts making miracles, it might be too late to cultivate a relationship with God. We don't, a, a harvest cannot be improvised. It doesn't grow overnight. To, in order to have a crop, you have to cultivate, you have to first do all the work of plowing, preparing the land, putting the fertilizer, and God bringing his rain and softening it. And there are much more to say about that. And then it takes time. It takes time. That growth takes time. That's why things will unleash. Suddenly, people will not be ready if they are not doing it now. I say to you from my heart, I'm preaching to myself. It might be too late if we are not diligent right now, brethren. If we neglect, I heard, I wasn't here, and Dr. Mary said, did you, did you study your Bible one hour this morning? I wasn't here. I said, why not? <laughs> I understand he more or less said that. And why not? We can sit and watch television for hours. But once we make contact with the Most High Brethren, you don't want to quit. Mr. Armstrong said it takes time, it takes diligence. But once you are connected with the presence of God, it becomes a marvelous thing when it fills you with peace and joy. Psalm 141. Here it is again. Psalm 141. This is the fifth book. It says, Lord, I cry out to you. Make haste to me. Give ear, give ear to my voice when I cried out to you. Let my prayer be set before you as incense. And remember, you go to Leviticus. And Aaron had to burn the incense every evening when he lit the lamps. He said, well, the incense is the prayer. That's Revelation chapter 5, verse 4. Revelation chapter 8, verse verses there, 4 or 5 or 6. It is clearly interpreted by the word of God. The incense that goes into the presence of the Father in the third heaven are the prayers of the saints. So that's a worship that's still on. And when you read that in the law, it says it's a statute forever. And God tells Aaron at what time he should do it. That's why we have to meditate in the law of God day and night. It's full of teachings. Sometimes we read through it and say, oh, yeah, this is all abolished. It's not abolished. There are profound lessons that we have to learn from all these things. Here it is. Let my prayer be said before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Remember, King Uzziah tried to offer incense himself. And he became he was hit with leprosy immediately on his forehead. And from then on, he was a leper until he died. But David understood there was a spiritual dimension to that incense, which is obligatory for us today. And he said, let my prayer be said before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening 
sacrifice. And let's read the last one of the fifth book. So you see the theme runs through the whole book of Psalms, through the five books. Why does God remind us all the time about this? This is the reason. If we have eyes to see, we have to be diligent. We have to cultivate our relationship with God. It takes work. It takes diligence. It takes organization. It takes to set priorities in our lives. Our eternity depends on our relationship with God, brethren. Chapter 143 of the book of Psalms, verse 8. Cause me to hear your loving kindness in the morning, for in you do I trust. So in 141 you have the evening, and here, 143, you have the morning. We still have time probably to explore. There are so many... I tell you, I wanted to explore three themes today. One was this, the schedule, and why is it there? The other one is, has a, God is our refuge. In the, in that's the, one of the most beautiful fulfillments of the words of Jesus Christ. Let's read uh, in Matthew chapter 11, what he says. Matthew chapter 11, this beautiful statement of Jesus Christ, verse 28 and 29. And that's what the book of Psalms teach us. Matthew 11, verse, verses 28 and 29. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. And I tell you that includes our sins. When we hide them, we will not prosper. But we confess them, come to Christ and confess our sins. He will take that burden they gave from us. We should not hide them. Proverbs 28, verse 13. If you hide, we hide our sins, we will not prosper. If we confess them and depart from them, we will receive or attain mercy. So, this is a tremendous statement of Jesus Christ. It, it has to do with pain and with worries and with trials, we have to do with our own sins. We have to come to him and confess our sins, not to hide them. Because there is no, no prosper, no prosperity, spiritually speaking, when we hide our sins before God. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know, you, you can ask people around, what's the yoke of God? You can receive ten different answers. We should look in the Bible. I won't, I won't stay there now, but it's good for you. In, in Jeremiah 5.5, 5, gives you the answer in Psalm 119. The yoke of God is the law of God. And it's explained, the judgments and the laws of God are the yoke of God. But... John says, and the way of God is the law of God too. That's what Psalm 119 explains. I won't go into that now. But it's, good, it's good to know this. Take my yoke upon you. The Apostle Paul says, John says, his commandments are not heavy or burdensome. I don't remember the English word for that. They are not heavy. He said, take my yoke upon you, that means 
You come with all your sins, with all your worries, with all your pain. And David did it. Psalm 51. He went to confess before God, lying down on, on the ground for seven days. That's probably where he composed Psalm 51. Repenting deeply. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. That means repent and obey me. That's what it means. The yoke is the law of God. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly heart. That means produce the holy fruit of the Spirit. Mature. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. And my burden is light. Let's read 1 John 5, verse 3. And that's exactly, if you compare with Jeremiah 5, 5, God's talking of the law of God. And that's what love is. 1 John chapter 5, and verse 3. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. My yoke is light. That's what he's talking about if you let the Bible interpret itself. Let's see a few instances. I cannot see the whole thing. Where David seek that refuge in God in every circumstance he was. And he learned he won't have anyone else to look for help. Remember, Saul was coming after him, sometimes with 3,000 of the elite of the tribe of Benjamin, after King David. And he was with probably 400 people, fleeing, and knowing he could not attack this man and defend himself, because he was the anointed of the Lord. He had to seek continually refuge in God and depend on him. He was practicing what Christ said, come to me. I will give you rest. I will protect you. For example, one of the most, to jump to the middle of the, of the, of the examples here, let's look up Psalm 57. That's one of the most eloquent examples of how David had this tremendous trust in God. He learned to trust in God. He said, Psalm 57, he says, a miktam of David when he fled from Saul into the cave. Remember, he was coming with 3,000 of the elite of Israel to kill David. He didn't have any other place to go to but to hide under the wings of God. Remember when Saul came into that cave? Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. Let's imagine what situation he was. Why did God inspire the moment he was when he wrote this? That's what we learn. We're in trouble. We have a refuge. We have a hazard. We have a place to run for refuge under the wings of our God. He's real to us. That will be our first reflex. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. You know what that means? Trust there means I seek refuge in you. That's sometimes how the word there in, uh, in the Hebrew is haza, which means refuge. 
I seek refuge in you. Yes. I trust in you. And look what he says after. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge. That means also Hazah. H-A-S-A-H. He had a hiding place under the wings of his God in the most terrible circumstances, brethren. Until the calamities have passed away. I will cry out to God, most high. And remember, and here is interesting. In verse 8 says, Awake my glory, awake lute and harp, I will awaken the dawn. He was singing early in the morning his gratitude to his God for the protection he received. We see Psalm number 3. Let's look at a few. The circumstances he was, he was fleeing from his son. The whole Israel was after him at that time. And he, God gave him in Psalm 3 the circumstances he was. And he seek refuge in God by the evening and morning prayer. He looked for a refuge. And uh, let's see, uh, Psalm 34, for example, which is in the first, first book. It says, and it says the circumstances. Psalm 34, a psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its, its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he heard me. And deliver me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant. And their faces were not ashamed. And he says in verse 7, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So again, that was his refuge where he continually went. And that runs through the whole five books of the book of Psalms too. I'll give you a few more. I'm sure you know them. And here also in, uh, in, in verse, in chapter, in chapter 54 of the book of Psalms again, it says, Maskil of David, chapter 54 of the book of Psalms. have time to go too far here. 54 of the book of Psalms, he says the circumstances. He says, a contemplation of David when the sea fights went and said to Saul, is David not hiding with us? And here he was again. So, here he tells the circumstances he was in and he seeks refuge in his God, always. And he was always delivered he never lost a battle. That's written in the book of Chronicles. God gave him the victory wherever he went. Let's, root, let's look here at Psalm 61, and we can pretty much conclude the subject uh, of this theme, which you can continue to search on your own. I invite you to do so. Let's read chapter 61 and verse 3 of the book of Psalms. 61. For you have been a shelter for me, 
and a strong tower from the enemy. Verse 4, I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. That trust means haza, means I will flee in seek of refuge under your wings. That's the literal translation from the Hebrew. Let's read Psalm 62 and verse 2. 62 and verse 2. He only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense. I shall not be greatly moved. He is my defense. It also means my refuge. How long will you attack a man? And then in verse 8, trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. That's what I was telling you. Christ said, come to me for your burden and laden, and I will give you rest. So, the last one, and I would have a few minutes only, and you can make the study yourselves. In every book of the five books of Psalms, you find a theme that runs through it too. There are others, but this is one I wanted to mention to use the face of God. Why does he mention the face of God so many times? This, this, let's look at a few ones quickly before my time goes over. But is in the all over. Let's look, for example, Psalm 11, verse 7. Psalm 11 and verse 7, you will see that theme coming up continually. Psalm 11 and verse 7, it says, For the Lord is righteous, he loves righteousness, his countenance beholds the upright. Countenance. In Psalm 13, you look the same theme again, and it says, Psalm 13 and verse 1, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? And then you can go through all of the rest of the books, and I give you a few examples more. Chapter 17 and verse 15. 17 and verse 15 speaks again of the face of God. As for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. That's also a reference to resurrection. And then in chapter 21 and verse 6, you find it again. Chapter 21 and verse 6. For you have made him most blessed forever. You have made him exceedingly glad with your presence. That means your face. In this, that's a translation of your face. In chapter 22 and verse 24, 22 and verse 24, you find it again. It says, for he has not despised my nor abhorred the afflicted in the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. And in chapter twenty four and verse six, it's all over the place, like I say, brethren, twenty four and verse six, he says, This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Now, why does it come so often? In the book of Numbers, chapter six, you find a blessing commanded by God through Aaron, to the children of Israel. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 22. Numbers chapter 6 and verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, 
Speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, This is the way you shall bless the children of Israel. Say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance, which is the same thing, upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name on the children of Israel, and I will bless them. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that we can behold the face of God like in a mirror, dimly. We have access to his presence. We can seek his face and his favor. And God, the peace is a fruit of the spirit. So we can make a beautiful analogy. As we talk about cultivating, you need the planting, you need the rain, but you also need the sunshine. We know that the face of God shines like the sun in all its strength. When Christ was transfigurated in the mountain, the first thing they saw was his face shone like the sun in full strength. We have access to the presence of God. And let's look at a few scriptures here that in the spirit we can perceive his presence, brethren, if we seek him. And we are going to see what happens if we cultivate that relationship diligently. In chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians and verse 12, chapter 13, verse 12, it says, For now we see in a mirror, you see, dimly, For then, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall I know just as I also am known. Okay, he is implying we can perceive in the spirit the face of our Father and of Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians, here is what it says. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. Here is Paul saying again. But we all with an unveiled face beholding us in a mirror the glory of the Lord. That means his shining face as the sun in full strength. We can see it like dimly on a mirror. We can perceive it if we are diligent in seeking his presence daily, morning and evening. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as to by the spirit of the Lord. That means a plant is transformed as the sun shines upon it. I used to live in California in the mountains, and we have many orange trees. And I would see those oranges turning. You know, these, they are called navel oranges, round. First they were green. They would start taking the same color of the sun, the sun of California. And they start smelling good. And you know that they are full of juice inside which is tasty. And it's turned from bitter into something absolutely delicious. It's because of the sunshine. Paul said we are transforming to the same image. That means people that don't pray, they don't grow spiritually. They don't have a contact with God. It's only when we seek his face. And that's where you, I only gave you a few. You're going to find dozen, a dozen at least, or more reference to the five books of the face of God. David 
seek the face of God. And he was transformed to the same image. And we, we seek him continually. There's a transformation that takes place. He said, let the Lord lift his countenance upon you, put peace on you. What's peace? It's a fruit of the Spirit. If we don't seek God, that's why God sometimes sends trials. He, he perfects us through trials. But one of the reasons is because trials force us to seek his face. And then we receive this maturing that comes from the contact with the Supreme God, with the perfect character of our Father. And as those oranges were transformed, and they got this beautiful orange color, and then they, they smell good. And you open that, it just burst with juice. And it was sweet. Those are the fruits of the Spirit. Sweetness, kindness, peace. How did they come, where did they come from? To the light. It's called photosynthesis. The light gets transformed into something sweet, something good, something beautiful. Something that smells good and looks good. That's how we are transformed if we seek our God. Like King David did. And that's what I wanted to present to you, those themes that run through the book of Psalms. So we cultivate our relationship with God and waste any time, brethren. The time is short. And there are many other things you will discover as you ask God when you read his book of Psalms. Every morning, every evening, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things out of your law. And remember, Christ called that book also the law.